Hi everyone, before we dive into the episode, I want to share the free download available on my website, alicefairfax.com. If you haven't gotten it already, then Never Start With a Blank Page Again, Three Quick and Easy Tools to Craft Your Story, is available right now through December. It's a cheat sheet for using my story mantra so that you don't have to start from zero. It's also a sneak peek into the first lesson in my Tell Your Story digital course, which will go on sale in late December. It's designed to help nonprofits and entrepreneurs with their brand messaging, marketing campaigns, social posts, anytime you need to tell your story. Now, let's get into this episode of the Story Maven podcast. For me, it's always been, you know, how how have those stories been told? And I go back to the overture of, of Superstar to say, we're so used to what an overture is supposed to do, right? It's supposed to be like, hey, listen closely. You might hear these themes later and we're gonna set the tone and we're gonna begin to tell the story in terms of where we are in maybe in time, where we are in geographic location. And then that that overture just made me go, oh, so I can, so you can do anything. You literally can do anything and sometimes it will work and sometimes it won't. And for that, it absolutely um, hit the nail on the head of, if we can look from different perspectives. And I think that's that's where the best storytelling is. Hello, and welcome to the Story Maven podcast, where we meet great storytellers who share their secrets to opening a story loop, engaging an audience, and telling a great story. I'm your host, Alice Fairfax. I was a Walt Disney World performer for over 20 years. Now, I teach busy nonprofit leaders and entrepreneurs how to turn data into story. Because what I know from being an improv storyteller is that you can increase your impact and grow your audience just by telling a great story. So if you're overwhelmed by your social media calendar or dealing with pre-speech jitters, the Story Maven podcast is here to help you tell your story. This week's guests are Julie Frost and Mike Dumbrow, who just this week were featured in the New York Times at home section. Their new kids podcast, The Super Secret Hive, produced by their Kids Save the World network, was touted as Thursday's Things to Do for Families. I'm so excited about that. They are the creators and producers of Kids Save the World, a network for kids of all ages and backgrounds. Their vision is that kids can make a positive impact in our world. And their first project is the six-episode podcast for kids called The Super Secret Hive. It's a musical adventure for the whole family with characters going on crazy cool quests to help kids save the world. So from honeybees to ocean cleanup to dinosaurs to outer space, it's fun and engaging and fantastic music. They've also created activity sheets for the listeners, and so it's a great resource for kids and their parents. I know Mike and Julie from Walt Disney World, so let me tell you a little bit more about them. Julie Frost has spent her career learning how to inspire happy and healthier kids. Julie was a singer and actress for Disney for over nine years and has performed for over four million live audience members across five countries and 26 states. Mike Dumbrow has worked as a music educator and composer for over two decades. Past roles include teaching artist at Disney Performing Arts, casting director at the American Idol Experience at Walt Disney World, and composer and music director for Imagination Stage. And of course, he was a public school choral and musical theater teacher. So let's go behind the scenes and find out how they created the Super Secret Hive. Don't forget to stick around after the interview for my Story Maven takeaways. Now, here's Mike and Julie. What I've been doing for a lot of years is teaching people how to tell your story. And I've been teaching these workshops on storytelling principles and I've been doing live workshops. And obviously 
I, literally, I was on a plane flying from Georgia, having had a day-long workshop on March 13th, and came home and was like, and that's over. So uh, I've started doing this online and helping people because now more and more people are needing to tell their stories, figure out how to tell a brand story. They're starting businesses. They're doing exactly what you guys are doing. It's kind of the perspective is helping people like you and like me, people that are starting nonprofits, people that are starting businesses, help them with their storytelling. Start with the kind of the regular stuff, your bios. Like what is your, what is your background, Julie? Tell me a little bit about you. A little about me. So I have been a Disney and musical theater enthusiast forever. So, (laughs) you know, since I was itty bitty and in middle school, I was auditioning for the high school show choir and in walks this energetic, um, unbelievable educator. Everyone had been talking about Mr. D and he was running the high school show choir and all the other choirs. And, um, so we met and I was like, who is this guy? I've got to get into his classes. And so I was in the show choir and a bunch of other choirs and that was Mike. And so he, um, very much inspired me from a, a young age and helped me kind of on my journey of musical theater. And my senior year of high school, he introduced me to Finding Nemo in the Musical. He said, you have to hear this. You have to be singing this. This was like written for you. And I was like, you're right. I've got to do this. Um, <laughs> so go. I ended up, yeah, i got to go to Florida. So I moved down to Florida and I went to the University of Central Florida where I studied musical theater. And um, I actually, my first show at Disney was Hoopty Doo. So I did Hoopty Doo and then um, a, a few other shows. And then it eventually ended up, as I was graduating, I started working full time at Nemo. And at that kind of around that same time, uh, Mike came down and he started his career at Disney. And then my husband is actually in the tech scene. So he's in Austin, Texas. So I, after a few years full time at Nemo, made the move to Austin, where I started a kids media production company. So we, make awesome content for kids. We are, we call ourselves edutainers and basically corporations or nonprofits will come to us and say, Hey, we have this really important message. We want to communicate it to kids, but we're not quite sure how. And I say, okay, cool. I think we should do an animation or a song or an album or what we love to do our live musical shows that we take on tour. So I've done a USO tour around the world to support military kids. I'm a military kid myself. Mm -hmm. And that's where I kind of got my start in writing these shows. And from the very beginning, I was calling Mike, I don't know what I'm doing. How do I, how do I write a song? How do I write a show? And so he's just been a lifelong mentor. Um, and I've been able to bring him on board for several of these projects, which has been great. So he was at Disney by day and then at nighttime was helping me build these projects. And then we always joked, Oh, wouldn't it be so nice to like be able to work on one of these full time together? Wouldn't it be so great? (laughs) Yeah. Well, careful what you wish for folks, because it it might just get a worldwide Mm. pandemic. Yeah. So (laughs) my, my business model of touring to schools, uh, Mm -hmm. went to zero overnight. And of course, unfortunately, um, Mike's job went away pretty quickly as well. And so we found ourselves with a lot of time, but with a lot of ideas and um, a lot of excitement for creating cool stuff for kids. So we have used the past six months to create this magical adventure. So transitioning from live shows, really. Um, and were your live shows full, like a an hour-long show, a storyline with um, music? It's about, yeah, 45-minute long musical for kids and um 
it was really special because for a lot of these kids, we go to really low income areas. So for me, my thought was a lot of these, they'll never get to go to Disney, most of them in their lifetimes. But Mm -hmm. if we can bring a little bit of that type of magic to their school, that was my hope. And to bring that to a a show, you know, a room full of 500 kids, it's, it, it was really special. And so we were able, the USO tour was worldwide. And then my most recent tour was, um, throughout Texas is where I live. It's, uh, sponsored by HEB. It's an anti-bullying show. It's bilingual. Um, and Mike worked, we worked together very closely on that project and that has been very, very special. We did that tour for three years. Um, but yeah, it's been great. Wow, incredible. And so Mike, your background really was in music. Um, So talk about that. Yeah, I think, you know, I I was lucky to have such um, eclectic parents in terms of musical tastes. Um, My grandfather was also a a speakeasy jazz piano player that uh, his nickname was was Tiger because when the police came, they were he was really fast um, as far as getting out of the (laughs) the prohibition. How did did I never know this about you? Yeah. Oh, he's he's fantastic. He's fantastic. So, you know, you have you're surrounded by just um, LPs and eight tracks of just some of the most diverse types of music. And so everything from John Denver and the Muppets to um, uh, Mario Lanza to Doris Day to the soundtrack to Jesus Christ Superstar to the Music Man to, I mean, it's just all over, of course, the Beatles all over the place. I was always trying to find a way to balance my love of music and working with kids and education and and the Disney nerdiness of us all as well. And I think (laughs) in college was when I figured it out that I was like, I, I can't not separate these, and I, um, and then I did an extra grad year at um, at NYU to to further just the specifically the writing process. So mm. for me, it's always been, you know, how how have those stories been told? And I go back to the overture of, of Superstar to say we're so used to what an overture is supposed to do, right? It's supposed to be like, hey, listen closely. You might hear these themes later, and we're going to set the tone, right. and we're going to begin to tell the story in terms of where we are in maybe in time where we are in geographic location. And then that, that overture just made me go, Oh, so I can, so you can do anything. You literally can do anything. And sometimes it will work and sometimes it won't. And for that, it absolutely um, hit the nail on the head of if we can look from different perspectives. And I think that's, that's where the best storytelling is. Um, Randy Newman is, no one knows what Randy Newman actually thinks, right? His songs are always from perspectives of, of these not so awesome people sometimes, depending on the song, um, but it's it's to get perspectives and walk in other people's shoes and and truly find out what what makes them uh, literally sing uh, to to find these moments. So that was really it. And you know, I grew up in the era of the mega musical where Fan of the Opera and yeah. Les Mis and all these sung through. So. Um, a great friend of mine, we we did a couple shows that we wrote while we were in college for another college that they they put on those shows. And we did we did a couple things really well and we did many things not well at all. And um, but the enthusiasm was there. The passion was there. So we keep going and try different things. I would write for a choir that I was singing with to, to like, let me try some choral writing with you guys. And um, my audition for for NYU, actually, I went back to my old high school and went to the Madrigal group that was there. I was like, would you guys sing backup for this song that I'm doing? <laughs> it was just like, cause I need to send an audition <laughs> song. And I, the technology was not there for me to be able to right. multi-track myself. So um, yeah, it, it's really such a, a beautiful place of experimentation. And 
um, when you have the time to truly dedicate it, then you can really see, you know, see what you're made of and see um, how far you can push yourself. And, and that's part of the education thing, right? To take those risks that whether it's having a solo or trying a type of music that you didn't like, that was always the thing. And I don't know if Julie can comment on this, that if anybody pushed back on a song that I would say, so we're going to sing the song. And then you get stink eye or uh, you bemoan. And it's really like, we're going to do it. So do what you need to do, write in your diary, whatever you need to do to get over it. But we're going to do it. And then at the end of it, then I want to know how you feel about it. And I want to know, mm. did you have an emotional connection? Did you have a visceral anger toward it? Whatever it was. Um, or did you think it was just, yeah, it was fine. I, I actually want to, I just want to say this back to all three of us and to those people that are going through right now launching and trying something new, like try it. Just what you said of like, okay, we're going to do this. So often, especially in the writing process, you're like, and you just throw it out. Like, oh, those three lines, suck. I, mean, I have to start all over again. And then you're just constantly writing three lines and throwing them out. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you have to drive all the way through. Um, so Mike, when you approach music, do you write lyrics and music? Are you focused on the composition? What's your um, process there? Yeah, it, it, a lot of it depends on who your collaborator is, for sure. Um, you know, I, you, you think of Elton John, and he's the guy that he requires lyrics. He, he, I think one out of a million songs he's written, he did the music first. Mm -hmm. um, and I, that's what I prefer. I prefer the lyric to come first because... I want that to inspire it. You know, they say, you know, when, when words are not enough is when you bring in the music kind of a, a concept. And I like that the, the words are the poetry that kind of create the, the music around that. You can still come up with a tone an idea. You can discuss what we think it's going to feel like. Um, but I'm more of, Oh, that those lyrics inspired a rhythm. They inspired uh, I could see a, a um, ebb and flow of the dynamics or I could see the pitch, right? Oh, that word is so important. That needs to have something more to it. Um, yeah. So Julie, what about you? Um, you were a singer and an actress. Was that kind of your focus? Yeah, definitely. Well, that's where I started. And then when I started creating these shows, I had to start songwriting and I Somebody really had, had no, yeah. And did yeah. you, do you write the show itself, the, mm -hmm. the book? Okay. Yeah, yeah so the whole thing. Figure it out. Yeah. So really had no experience in that. So it was a lot of fun to learn. And Mike very much mentored me through a lot of that process and um has been really fun to collaborate with. And a few years back I wrote my first album and had truly just no idea what I was doing. So that was quite an adventure <laughs> and a learning experience. And you know, now I hear it and I'm just like, oh, turn it off. But um it's it, it, I mean you have to start somewhere, right? And yeah. you, you have to just write like you said, but the the pen to the paper and write and go and um so yeah it's, it's just what was the thing that catapulted you what what made you say I, i've got to write a show was it well, i gotta be I, in a show so i gotta write a show well that was it so i was just yeah. super lucky an organization that was working with the uso approached me and said hey we hear you're a military kid and you're you reached your dreams of becoming a disney singer and actress would you travel around the world and tell other military kids about that so it was telling my story so it's a lot easier to write the show when you get to just kind of talk about your yourself and your experiences so um and i i've always connected to a young elementary age it's kind of the sweet spot for me and i love mm -hmm. talking about the social emotional learning stuff for i've always let's talk touchy feely i love it and so that was what the show was is kind of talking to the ki these kids about 
the challenges that are unique to military kids and how you can overcome them and coping skills. And so we did that in just like a really fun and creative way and put song and dance to it. And um, so yeah, so it was just, it, it was just telling my story through song and that was pretty easy to do. And then it's, you know, it's been interesting as we created the show, this is very much a fictional show and our characters are Mike and Julie, but we're definitely heightened versions of ourselves right. and totally fictional. So this has been really fun to just, and for me, I've learned so much just watching Mike in his process of brainstorming and coming up with, I mean, he's, you know, his sense of humor is awesome and just watching him go and it, it just spouting off ideas. There's a ton of humor in the show, but that's like, I don't know, 10% of what Mike came up with. Like he just, he would just spout off these ideas and I'm just typing like as fast as I can, keeping up and um, you, you pick your favorites is, and go with it. And Which is a good part of the collaboration because you run these, it's always great to have a partner or a sounding board to be like, <laughs> what about this? And then the reaction is, you know, completely <laughs> blank and you're like, okay, what about okay. it? You know, so <laughs> even on a lyric, I would have, you know, we knew it had to be, but whatever the lyric was. And um, I would read like 10 different options. What about this? Okay. What about this? Ooh, that's funny. What about this? Nope. And so we would just rank it and then finally like, okay, we're going with option B and um, you know, there's only so many rhymes in the world for whatever we're trying to come up with. I, I think what um, Julie did really well on her, on her tour for the USO and also for the anti-bullying thing was that you, you adapt in live shows as, as you know, Alice, that, that depending on the live theater is live, right? So there's, right. Two, it can be painfully unforgiving and it can be mm -hmm. the most inspiring thing on the planet. Mm -hmm. So as you see things that work and things that don't, you adjust. And I think Julie did a great job of saying, okay, yes, we do have this book, but we're not, since we're the copywriters, Right. We can change it. Um, not and Shakespeare. I, not yeah, Shakespeare. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I was blessed. Um, I had a three-year opportunity up in um, Maryland at a children's theater called Imagination Stage. And they had a program called Speak Out on Stage that was, we're going to cast the kids. And it's a year-long program. And once we have the kids, we're going to get to know the kids. We're going to do some acting, uh, you know, workshops and just learning about what it means to be an actor. A lot of them had a previous experience, but still we're going to go through the process that we're now an ensemble. And, um, and then we're going to write a show around what speaks to them. So what are their concerns? Oh. What are their fears? What are their, what makes them super jazzed, whatever it is, so that you're not just saying, okay, kids, you're super talented. Here is um, you know, once on this island, Lynn here is, is Annie. <laughs> yes. Here's Chicago, you know, something that's yes. like, oh, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. And and it just really <laughs> was a unique thing to be like, yes, you're always writing for someone else. You're always writing for an audience, but it's still your voice. So how do you really speak to them as mm -hmm. best you can? And that was the, oh, you just ask them. You just ask them really what it is. And when they, with the trust that builds over that first semester, you really get the idea of, okay, we know these people. Yes, we know their vocal ranges as well. So we can really customize that. So it was really just this really perfect package for them that we try to do with this project by, you know, talking to some of our friends that have, you know, families of all different ages. I think that was important to us that, you know, this might be something you listen to while you're in the car on the way to the grocery store or soccer practice. And there's a lot of fighting that goes on in families about what we're listening to them. So a three-year-old, they need to be move into it, right? You can't ballad right. them to death. Uh, if it's a teenager, they might want a little bit more complexity in the in the song or in the themes that that the younger child may not get out of it. Um, and then even that we've heard from dads and moms and grandmas that have just been like, I did not know that.
we came upon, I don't even know how we did. We came upon bowhead whales and we're like, Ooh, I've never, I don't know anything about this. And then their whale song apparently is improvisatory. So it's, they're known as the jazz musicians of the, of the ocean. So we're like, so they could be in a jazz club. So they could sing a, you know, a Cab Calloway kind of tune. Like, let's see if we can, let's see if we can pull this off and, and all of that stuff. So, so we don't want to be talking about kids save the world. Um, so I do, I want to say the title three times so that everyone remembers the title and goes and downloads the title, Kid Save the World. And this is the Super Secret Hive, yes? So Julie, tell me about Kid Save the World and how you got there. Um, Cause that's, that's such an exciting <laughs> adventure and it, it kind of encapsulates your mission, but also gives, gives an adventure. So tell me how you came up with that. Well, originally, um, when I started the company, I was not very creative in naming it. And so it was called Julie Frost Kids for, for a number of years. That and really then <laughs> Mike and I have been um, working together closely on projects. And when we started to make this podcast, we discussed like, oh, this should probably like, what if we had more podcasts? And what if we created this network? And, you know, we should probably just rename Julie Frost Kids to Kids Save the World, because it's just a much better representation of who we are and, and what we believe in. And so everything from the beginning of starting the company, everything I've created is created with the intention of helping kids. I want kids to become happier and healthier. And our goal is to edutain. You know, we want, we definitely want to entertain. We're entertainers. That's my background. Um, but I think that when you are entertained, you have such an amazing platform to communicate important messages at the same time. And especially if you can do it in a creative way where kids don't know that they're learning. They're these sponges, but you know, they, they don't think they're being taught at. And so they're just enjoying themselves. But at the same time, you're helping to mold them and helping to instill values in them. And so that's really, really important to us. So everything that we do um, from the very beginning has just been, how do we help kids to become happier and healthier? And with Kids Save the World in particular, and uh, the Super Secret High podcast, our goal is to help empower kids to learn how to take care of themselves, each other, and our planet. So that's kind of the overarching theme of everything that we've been doing. So we can expect to see, so the Super Secret Hive is this particular series. And so we can expect yes. to see Kids Save the World and then an, a totally new series. Yeah, we did. We had kind of a practice podcast that we put together with my first album. Uh, it's, we just called it Julie Frost Kids. Again, not super original with the name there, but that was the name of the album. And so what we did is we took each song from the album. We did a little intro where we talked about this is the subject of the song. This was my story growing up and why I wrote this song. Um, and so it's very much within the theme of uh, like I said earlier, the social emotional learning stuff, like mm. what do you do when you're feeling really big, powerful feelings? How can we let those out in a safe and healthy way? What are some coping mechanisms? So that's geared towards, I would say, a younger audience than the super secret hive. That's definitely the sweet spot is older toddlers and young elementary kids. And that, again, was a total practice for us. We thought we should probably get a podcast under our belt before we put out this the super secret hive project we've been, you know, we spent six months on. So mm. we did, we did put that podcast out. It was a great trial run, um, kind of figured out, worked through some kinks and getting that published and out to the world. And then we felt ready to, to put the, 
the super secret hive out for everyone to listen. So I, I don't know if more will be to come, but that would be really exciting. I think we have a lot of ideas, Mike, especially, I mean, he's, I'm telling you, he's the idea, man. He just has so many fantastic Machine. ideas to how we can communicate to different types of kids and their different interests. So, you know, the, I think the world is our oyster. Who knows what the, the opportunities will be, but yeah, we definitely have lots of ideas as to what we could do with kids save the world. Well, the super secret hive, I really, I love the title so much. Um, in my classes, I teach my storytelling mantra, um, which if, if you take away nothing else, I, I want you to go home with this mantra of universal so we can relate, specific so we care. You have to write a story that is universal so your audience can relate to it and specific so they care. Um, and so that universal uh, theme, there's a poll there of the super secret hive. I want to belong. Within the span of a month, all six full-length adventures will be released. Within those six adventures, we have 14 original songs. And then each episode has an accompanying blog post online that has tons of downloadable activities and resources for parents and teachers so that if your kids were really interested and want to learn more, they can download those activities. You can even do those activities. Like here I have the Polly the Pollinator coloring sheet. You can have your kids oh, coloring awesome. while they're listening. Sometimes it's hard for kids to sit still while just using their ears because they're so used to screen time. So to help them stay engaged, it can be really helpful to keep their hands busy as well. So if you keep them engaged with a worksheet, that's a really great way for them to continue listening and continue the learning. Yeah, and each episode also has a kind of a mission um, element. You know, the, the episodes are very based, very much based in the idea that the hive is going on these super secret missions to different places around the, the world and, and uh, spoilers, maybe universe. But um, uh, as we go into different locations to try to find things that, that we can all relate to and, um, you know, for, for the first episode that it's about honeybees, you know, when you realize how much um, the honeybees do for us, um, and how amazing the, the, you know, more colorful the world is as a result of what they do. Um, yeah, it kind of inspires it. Like, what can I do? And, and so to lay out simple things that you can do. So our activity is, you know, can you design that perfect pollinator paradise um, on the sheet? So if you're in a, in a, in a, you know, an apartment or, or what have you that doesn't have an outdoor area, like for right now, let's just plan it. What would you do to get their minds thinking about what would be the great kind of setup for this? And then if they have the opportunity, um, either on their own property or maybe at a local library somewhere that needs a beautification element, um, I'm sure they would welcome it. But at the same time, it's going to help that, that population um, be strong, you know, which is what we need them to do. So it's all these little things that each episode, hopefully there's a takeaway that they, if they want to go on this mission, they, they've got it. And then once they are Hive members, um, you know, what's, what are they dreaming up? What are the, the next missions to go on? So it, that was kind of the interesting thing for us as we went, because we didn't know if it was going to be the first honeybees and then marine litter. Those are very environmental um, in terms of scope. Um, but then we realized, well, the honeybee aspect, there's a there's a portion of that that that, you know, as a child, I was fearful of honeybees and mm -hmm. would often swap them. So that didn't always work out well. Um, so we, <laughs> you know, we addressed that as well. And it was that idea that really there's an element of taking care of yourself here. And then, you know, as we talk about germs, we're in the era of, of a lot of germs right now. So it's not just about taking care of ourselves. It's about taking care of others. By how we by how we take care of ourselves, so it became this all-encompassing 
you know, you can't help others if you don't help you. If you don't help, if you can't help the planet if you're not helping others. It's it's this whole cyclical thing that we felt just worked very naturally for the process and then had so many topics that you could go to that kids would be excited about that you could still interweave other things. Um, so we, we have an episode that does uh, deal with some, some dinosaur action, um, but there's other things at play. You know, it's, you know, we're obviously we're not saving the dinosaurs because that ship has sailed. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, what can we yeah. do with that? <laughs> Jurassic yeah. Park is fiction. <laughs> that is great. That is great. And so what, um, when you started this pro- program, what was the motivation? Was it really because, okay, we're shut down and we need to uh, pivot? Um, was there a spark of an idea first that had you planned to do this one as a live um, kind of how, what was the process of developing this idea? Well, so we had just been working on an audio project together. I brought Mike on board to help me with that. And so it was our first strictly audio project. Things we'd done before had been these live shows or these animations where, yes, we were writing the stories and doing all of the audio, but we were there was another layer of um, screen time on top of that or the live performance element. So we realized when we were building this audio and we had toyed around with the idea before we had said, wouldn't it be cool to do a kid's podcast? And so we definitely had been brainstorming it, but again, we didn't really have the time to work on it full time. So we were in the world of audio COVID hit. I knew that I was not going to be able to continue touring to schools. So it kind of naturally just segued into us creating it. And at first we really didn't know if if this would be a full season, you know, we started with one episode and that one episode had, you know, four original songs. And so we rewrote that one several times and did a ton of work on that. And then, you know, we were still at home and still without work opportunities. So we thought, well, we, I guess we keep going and we just kept the ball, (laughs) the snowball kept rolling down the hill and getting bigger and bigger and more exciting. And so we just, uh, kept chugging along. And then we eventually had to say, okay, so what is this thing going to be? How many episodes we need to kind of put an end date to it. So we landed on six. Um, So so six is our first season. And I do feel like it's a, it's a complete season, even though six might not sound like a big number. It's a full length adventure. There are several original songs in each episode. So it was, it was a big undertaking to do between, it was just the two of us wearing all of the hats and doing, you know, the writing, the recording, we voice all the characters that Mike does all the scoring and then I do all the mixing and the mastering. So it's, it was oh a multi-step process. And usually, you know, you have a team of a lot of people doing those things. So to have two people doing it, it was a, a quite a big undertaking, but we had the time to do it. And we, we were just really excited about it. And it was exciting to learn these new skill sets for me. I had never mixed audio before. So to have to learn this new brand new skill set was awesome. And then I know for Mike, he, I mean, with his scoring, he, you'll hear in the instrumentation, just so many different instruments. So he's gotten mm-hmm. to explore that. And so I think it's been a really amazing learning process for both of us as well. But I would say back in March when we started it, it, it we did not know where it would end, um, but it's been an exciting progression. And, and we're thankful for technology for sure, because, mm-hmm. you know, co- collaborating, you know, if this were a hundred years ago here, let me, send you sheet music through the Pony Express and we'll see what happens. You know, I'll hear from you in a, in a year, but right. like, but this has become that if we are, we, we found out very quickly, you know, in the voiceover world, you, you are a, usually a solitary person in a booth with somebody barking at you about what, you know, yes, no, maybe. Um, and you're doing things multiple times so that you have choices after the fact. And 
we didn't we didn't really have the time to be to take five thousand takes of some things, but we did multiple takes at, at the beginning, and then we tried to piece it together, and there was something missing because, um, again, we're we're fans of the of the live, so it for us it didn't work as well, and we also didn't have a. It's not like a Pixar movie where you have three years to figure it out and call people back in to do ADR and all whatever it is. So we found a way that had to work for us, and it was literally let's put our you know, phones or tablets, whatever that are, we're going to be able to video chat while we've got your audio in our ear, while we've got headphones on to be able to hear ourselves, while we're staring at the script, while we're also have our eye on the recording to make sure we're not clipping or, uh, or that we actually hit record. That, that was always a great time (laughs) when we didn't do that. (laughs) Um, And then from there we could, you know, swap files and play with timing and things like that, because there's always that little bit of delay that, you know, we joyfully all experience with, uh, with anything online. And uh, so we wanted to make it so that it seemed seamless, that it seemed like it was in the place. And then really to play with our voices to say, okay, our instrument only does so much, so we can play with that. And then our technology only does does so much with what we have so we can play with that and, and see what kind of cast of characters we could get in. Cause really we didn't want it to be about, it wasn't about us. It was about mm-hmm. if we, if the kids are us, you know, if we were the kids, we would go on these journeys. Absolutely. Right. Give me a chance to do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go. But you know, a, a lot of times we're the ones that have to kind of represent the struggle or the conflict or the, the lack of confidence in what we're going to do. And it's the scenarios and those other characters that can hopefully bring the best out in us or each other. It's still, if you don't honestly believe in what you're doing, they're going to see right through you and it's not going to feel as authentic as what you're doing. If you're excited about it, like I had not written um, a straight up country kind of bluegrassy <laughs> song before in my life. And, yeah. but I love it. Dolly Parton, Willie Nelson are two artists that I grew up on. And yeah. so how can they kind of inspire this and make it fun and, and uh, something that kids will remember. And, you know, it's going to be okay I, so far. I listened to one of the episodes before I listened to the trailer and then I went back and listened to the trailer and and that's when I realized that the, it was just the two of you doing all the voices. I literally had no idea. And Mike, I, I would never have imagined that that would be something that you would do. <laughs> I, that was honestly a, a shock for me too. I mean, I knew he was talented and but he'd always just written the scores for me and this, you know, and he would, and he would, you know, if you, I would go over to his house when I would be in, you know, when I was in Orlando and he'd play the music and kind of sing the melody, but not really, you know, just enough for me to know what it was. And so when we started, I was, I was like, I hope he can, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I hope he can, I hope he's good. And then, and then I remember he saying his you even first solo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That he even wants to, and then he sang this for his first solo song. It was the and it's my favorite. It's the immune system battle song. He's Sir Wash Your Hands a lot, and he just he's so wickedly talented. And I'm like, what? Like, who even knew that you could do that? And he, I mean, in the voices he can do too. I mean, it's it's super impressive. We all knew he was a talented musician, but then he opens his mouth, and you're like, what? Not not fair. Well, we, I think, you know, from a choral, the choral background element would be like, if you are, you know, when we go to competition, a lot of times you, you take three songs. So if you bring three spirituals, that was, that's a bad idea because you're not showcasing <laughs> yeah. three different ways to, to do your thing. So um, we worked really hard to pick great music for um, our choirs in the same way that we tried to do this here to be like, we don't want the listener to get bored. We also want them to have exposure to these different elements that 
hopefully are authentic to the storytelling and make sense. Um, and then sometimes they're just fun. But I think as singers, you know, we, I remember we did one piece with our madrigal group that they, it, it wasn't right. And then we said, I need you to sing like you're, everybody's 80 years old. Can we get that sound? Because it just sounded like a young, bright sound, which was fine. I mean, that's fine, but it has to be the right kind of song. And then they brought this feeling on and it was like that, that's it. And we're just telling the story, you know? So, you know, I, one of the pieces that we did every year as kind of a, a reunion piece was the Hallelujah Chorus to get everybody on stage and everybody loves that. And it's one of those things that it needs to have that power. And, and yeah, it, irregardless of, the, right, yeah put the, your, your faith aside, it's, you are storytellers on that stage. So mm -hmm. you have to make, you know, even if it's a secular delivery of it, you are telling that story. And just like you would in a part in a play, you know, I, I, in college had to play a couple uh, villains that I was like, Oh, that's too bad. I thought, I thought it was kind of nice, but you're seeing something else. So, and it usually, <laughs> there it usually became, Oh, you can grow a beard. So that makes you look a little bit more yeah. villainous and older. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. got it. You have a lower voice. You win. There you, yeah. So <laughs> that was kind of the sad part about musical theater that none of the parts were ever written for me. So Caiaphas and Superstar <laughs> was my claim to fame. And You're uh, there. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like you recorded this almost like a radio play. You were really giving and taking and directing each other and being present with each other as opposed to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to record my lines and send it to Julie and she's going to mix it. Absolutely. We would even say, yeah. could you, all right, could you do that one more time? Um, <laughs> but smile, or could you do that one more yeah. time? And emphasize you know, this word. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it would be so funny because you would have the, how you would say the line, obviously is not how someone else would say the line. And sometimes mm -hmm. it would be like, I can't, I can't say it. And then can we just rewrite the line? And, and then, yes. Okay. Yeah, right, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was part of the beauty of it is we would just rewrite it as we were recording. Like, why did we write it like that? Yeah. <laughs> through. I think yeah. that's something that people just wouldn't, just wouldn't know. You would just think, oh, you can just read that. But there are many times like I cannot bring anything. I've done that 17 different ways and I have nothing more to bring to that. We right. need another human to bring to either. This is for somebody else or we right. need to rewrite it for me yeah. because... I, I I have nothing else to bring to it. Mm -hmm. So that idea of bringing you, your real self, bringing your authentic self, even into these characters, it's a powerful. Yeah, that one. was the way that we could. We knew we had a foundation of we we are naturally we naturally get excited about cool stuff. Um, so we felt like that could be something that people could relate to. But it is hard to to get feedback from people, and when you're doing it in a live scenario, that is even crazier. To be like, could you do it again? And then part of you is like, oh, I didn't, I didn't do a good job that time. Mm. Uh, I guess so. Or this person is pushing me to hopefully make it better. We what know was that. a favorite story of each of yours as a kid? A story that has really stayed with you. The Phantom Tollbooth was a big one for me. Like that. That story, that style of storytelling has informed almost everything for me, you know, and I wonder if there's one for you that um, we've talked musically, um, yeah. but I wonder if there's a story. I, I loved Beauty and the Beast for, because I love the idea of transformation and being able mm. to transform yourself. And as a military kid, I just moved all the time and it might sound 
weird, but I felt like each move was an opportunity to kind of reinvent myself and transform and make a better version of myself. Okay, what did, like, what was I at that last school and why could I be at this new school? You know, maybe I can be kinder, maybe I can be more accepting or whatever it might be. So I, and I loved the idea and that story of the, just the total transformation and that he was loved, even flaws and all, but he still was able to make that grand transformation to, to the prince. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I um, probably read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory a million times. Um, mm. And it, it's, you know, once you're, once you know more and you can look back at why you loved it, you know, it's probably the outsider aspect to it. It's the, the one that um, is seeing all these other people that they think are special and are more important than them or, you know, have more. It was just such a beautiful story that, that it was truly this family. And, and I remember the image of all of them stuck in the bed together. Yeah. You know, they were all sharing. They were sharing. They were truly this family that I was like, I hadn't I hadn't seen a family like that. I hadn't known um, uh, that much poverty. You know, it was to be just mm -hmm. to see all of these things and then to be chosen not for all these other superlatives but for um his heart and his and his willing to sacrifice and and no i'll give all of this up because of what's truly important and i think Roald Dahl, throughout his stories it just uh, fantastic mr fox and james of the giant peach it just goes on and on and on and he wasn't afraid to hit some topics that were a little bit darker you know um my era of even our Disney movies as a kid, we had um, something wicked this way comes, you know, you have these mm. Ray Bradbury adaptation that's for kids like, Oh, okay. So I just felt like Roald <laughs> Dahl. <laughs> yeah, let's go there. Um, but they, you, you could hit these, these topics that were a little bit on the darker side. Uh, Neil Gaiman does a great job at that for kids these days with Coraline and things like that. But um, yeah, it was just, I had not experienced anything like that before. And it was so, he built worlds instantaneously. You could instantly see what he was talking about and yeah, loved it. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, I, I know that kids as they dial into um, Kids Save the World will have that same experience. There's some really beautiful transformation stories. There's, I love that there's a mission uh, for each episode and for each story and something that kids can really um, latch on to, something bigger than themselves. Um, so tell us again where you can find uh, Kids Save the World, The Super Secret Hive, how they can get hold of that. Yeah, so The Super Secret Hive is available wherever you get your podcasts. So you can just search uh, in your podcast app, The Super Secret Hive, or you can just go to hereatthehive.com. That's our website, and that's where you'll be able to find not only the episodes, but also all of the activities as well that you can print out to do at home. And they can connect with us on social media, um, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If they have things they want to share, any of the activities, any feedback, if they are performing a song and want to do it for us, whatever, you know, anything at all, we would love to share that with the world. And we're also sharing some awesome things that other people are doing throughout the world to kind of make this world uh, the best it can be. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so, so much. I just have loved hearing about this project. I love listening to it. Um, and I, I know that kids and families, this is an important time for them to have hopeful messages, exciting messages and engaging messages, something that really engages them. So I'm excited that you got to do this and thanks for sharing it with me. Thanks for thank having you. us. 
Well, I just loved hearing about that kind of collaboration. Um, that is so interesting to me as a single writer and a speaker. Um, that kind of creative collaboration just requires a whole different skill set and yet some of the same tools that we, we keep talking about. So I think there's a lot of storytelling takeaways from writing music and writing for children. So first of all, I was struck by having a mission for your story. I love that they have a vision, a mission, something bigger than yourself and using that to drive each story. Another takeaway was taking the risk of trying. When writing music, you have to involve other people. I loved Mike describing the eye-rolling of students just looking at the music he handed out, but we have to sing it through to have an opinion. I think that's a really important thing for us as writers, even if you're just writing copy for a social media post or a marketing blurb, write it, read it out loud, read it out loud, hear it back to yourself, and then give your opinion on it. Otherwise, we'll end up rewriting those same three lines over and over again. You know what happens. Uh, another thought for me was understanding different voices. Some pieces of music needed a different perspective, so Mike's story of asking bright young students to sing as if they were 80 years old really helped them find the right tone for that piece. So think about that. What other voices can you use when you're trying to tap into who your audience is? Can you write it in the voice of someone that you recognize? I've used this trick a lot for myself, writing as a particular actor or spokesperson, writing it in their voice when I'm trying to reach a particular audience. And then on the other side of the spectrum of that is what Julie talked about, having an authentic voice. When she talked about doing the voiceover and bringing your authentic voice to it and offering what you have, and if that line wasn't working, then rewrite it so that your authentic voice comes through. Now, I know those last two tools sound contradictory, but they're really not because you need to consider your audience, who they are, what they need to hear. But if you only write what you think they need to hear, oh boy, that just comes off so salesy and so pitchy without any heart. You lose the connection to your authentic offering. And I think that's a really important thing. You want to know who you are and what you have to offer. Not everyone will want what you have to offer. In my digital course, we talk about the audience, their need, and your offer, and where those two things meet, and how to include both in your messaging. So I hope this was uh, interesting and informative to you. Go ahead and take a listen to the Super Secret Hive. You will love it. It is just delightful. Be sure to visit alicefairfax.com and download the free guide, Never Start with a Blank Page Again, Three Quick and Easy Tools to Craft Your Stories. I hope that helps you. It's going to be available through December. And go ahead and sign up for my newsletter so that you'll find out what's coming up after December. And that's where you're going to get first access to sign up for the Tell Your Story workshops and the digital course. Thanks for listening to the Story Maven podcast. I hope you get out there and tell a great story. Be sure to subscribe to and rate and review this podcast. You can find me at alicefairfax.com for more Tell Your Story tools. Thanks so much.